Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Hey folks, this is Tom Castles from Broken Healthcare. That's the podcast that strives to examine, diagnose, and propose a treatment plan for our ailing healthcare system. Now, in this podcast, we cover just about everything that causes people pain and suffering, and we do it through these really deep character dives and immersive stories. So when you've finished this episode of Hit Like a Girl, come check us out at Broken Healthcare. Welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast, where with each episode, we hear from different women experts in the health IT industry. We like to hear about what makes them tick, how they overcome challenges, work they're proud of, advice they would give to other women in health IT, and much more. I'm Joy Rios. And I'm Robin Roberts. Today, we're sharing a conversation we had with Andrea Tate, the Vice President of Client Value at Orion Health. We had a chance to talk security, value-based care, and social determinants and how each have been affected by the COVID pandemic. We learned a lot from this conversation and hope you will too. So let's get started. Thank you for being with us and taking the time today, Andrea, especially during these crazy times. Healthcare is going through so much at the moment, and we would really just like to understand what is your piece of the healthcare or health IT puzzle and what part are you playing in what is going on right now in the healthcare system? It's a good question. So first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to do this today. And I think it's important that we continue to have these conversations. So I have been talking to a lot of colleagues and current colleagues and in my former roles, and I worked for quite a long time for the government of Ontario here in Canada in various fairly senior leadership roles around health information technology. And in those conversations, and I will confess to being an eternal optimist. So in those conversations, when we talk about what's happening right now with respect to COVID and potential ways to sort of triage, test, and treat people with COVID, it occurs to me that this is a bit of an opportunity for certainly North American healthcare systems, but even more broadly than that, I think for a lot of Western healthcare systems, the interesting opportunity is this is going to force us to really look at where the best places are to deliver care and what care we can deliver outside of a traditional hospital setting. It's going to force us to look at the way we use technology and the way we assess people test them for specific diseases, and then ongoing monitor and manage people without them being 
in a centralized hospital setting. And although this is certainly not an easy time for anyone, the opportunity in this is to see how we can approach care in the future differently that is less sort of totally centered around a hospital with a bed and a traditional care management method. And and we've been moving towards that a little bit anyway. But my specialization, I've done a number of large-scale health information technology implementations, the largest one being an electronic health record, which is the Canadian version of an HIE with sort of 150,000 users and supporting a population of 15 million people. So a very, very large implementation over many years. But before that, I did quite a lot of work in community. So work in community assessment, community mental health and addictions. And what's interesting about those projects is that they've equipped me to look at the way we deliver care and the settings in which we deliver care a bit different. So for me, working with Orion, the opportunity is to take the technology that is available to us now and to think about how we can help be more efficient in the way we deliver care to the community. And Orion for a long time has talked about the right patient in the right place at the right time with the right cost, which is important because it's a sustainability conversation at the end of the day. What's interesting about global pandemic like this is it focuses us on that. And I think the opportunity as we come out of the other side of this emergency is what new skills, what new tools, what new techniques, what new strategies have we acquired that we can continue to apply that will make the healthcare systems across the world more resilient and more sustainable. Could you tell us, how did you get started working in healthcare, health IT, doing these massive projects at scale? All the way back, I started working for a health IT company 15 years ago that was specialized in um, health IT when it was still brand new. And then eventually just ended up working really closely with a number of clients who eventually I went to work directly for. And my first job in the government was actually with community care access centers. So the centers across the province of Ontario that were responsible for the funding, assessment, and delivery of home care services. And I learned a lot early in my career about home care, about the value of care delivered in the community and outside of an acute care setting. And from there, I actually went to a next big technology project, which was around assessing and maintaining care for people in homes from long-term care to mental health and addictions to community support services. So spent a number of years doing that. And, you know, my background is computer science by training, but what was more interesting to me was the ability to use a tool like IT, to solve these really interesting problems about how do we keep people well longer? How do we keep them out of hospitals? How do we support a lot of the patient's goals, which is really most patients would rather be at home if they can. They'd rather have all the way to palliative care at home. And so to me, the interesting part of this work was always what can we do to change the way we deliver care that makes it better for patients and better for the healthcare system as a whole 
because we're only treating people in acute care centers that really need to be there. The other project that I did that was more involved directly hospitals and primary care settings as well with primary care doctors was the electronic health record we talked about. That was a long project that took from inception to full rollout across the province five and a half years. It involved implementing with hundreds of thousands of clinicians, nurses and doctors and uh, other allied health professionals. So a long, long time to get that rolled out and adopted and used and perfected. And I think it certainly taught me a lot about big scalable technology, but I think it taught me more about what we called clinical change management. So how to facilitate adoption with users like clinicians and nurses, really understanding what is their workflow, where are their priorities, how can we make it easier for them? And we got to a place somewhere in that project where we hit a tipping point from the old school thinking with health information technology, which was just give them as much information as you possibly can about the patient in a centralized way. When we started to get to that point, the feedback from the clinicians, and by the way, we've always been governed, or we were always governed by clinical working groups, so very strong ongoing clinician input over years. And what they were telling us then was, it's too much information, and you're making it too hard to find the information I needed. So there was a big pivotal shift then where we started thinking about how to prioritize information, how to send alerts, how to prioritize important information flow over just general more and more information to clinicians. And and that's become important. And you can see articles and studies everywhere that say part of the challenge for health service providers or healthcare providers is to not fatigue them with too much information whereby they could miss the really valuable stuff. So we started that transition, I would say about almost four years ago now, away from just amassing all the data that was possible to really helping them to notify and prioritize and and look at patient integrated care and look at integrated care journeys that included primary care providers, hospital providers, home care providers, all of those things together in an integrated care model. So I think that probably happened about four years ago. What is the state of health information exchange up in Canada at this time? Like, is information able to flow freely from one setting of care to another? And is it the right information at the right time, as you were saying, at the right cost? Because I know we struggle with that here in the U.S. as well. Yeah, and everyone struggles with that. So although my government experience is Canadian, I have experience working with HIEs in the U.S. through Orion, and I can tell you that everyone has different struggles with making sure information flows seamlessly and follows the patient. The state in Canada is that most provinces have provincial electronic health systems or HIEs, Most of them are fairly widely used. More recently, we've been pushing them down into the community sector and putting in tools that help the community sector. So we've seen multiple provinces start to do that. I think that's a discussion we're starting to have in the U.S. We have been, for a long time, working with the U.S. on basic HIEs. 
now with the introduction of value-based care and accountable care organizations, and especially with some of the new quality measures that have come out of private payers and Medicare and Medicaid, those things really dictate a different way of thinking about how we organize and provide care, and therefore a different way for the HIEs and other care organizations to work because they really are more about avoiding readmissions, managing people at home. So I think the U.S. is is moving there as well. And I credit some strong leadership around from Medicare and Medicaid around quality measures and also from organizations like NCQA around introducing payer quality measures that sort of look to do the same things. Yeah, that is predominantly what our professional lives revolve around, which is the the collection of quality measures. So it's always interesting to think about how sometimes that burdensome aggregation of data, you know, is really facilitating that. But it is a, a longstanding requirement for so many physicians, and it does alleviate their burden in doing that, along with us being able to have a more comprehensive snapshot of what's going on with some of these patients. Yeah, it absolutely is. And it also, if you look, if you scratch the surface of those, they really seek to sort of look for big causation around readmissions and those things and try to drive into that and and get better process that is subacute. So it's really the goals are the same. I think the approach is slightly different. And, and I have the lucky advantage in a North American role of taking the best of both and applying them. So for example, you know, when I talk to our Canadian clients, I talk about the quality measures that are being applied in the U.S. and taking some of those and applying them in Canada because diabetes is diabetes on both sides of the border. And realistically, they're a good way to sort of measure your progress to some of the things that we're both trying to accomplish in both countries. And so, we take those things and we try to implement them north of the border. And then the opposite is true as well. So Canada has done a pretty good job of standardizing, using standardized assessments in community and using standardized care plans that link to the assessments that are really evidence-based and using strong clinical indicators. And so we're having discussions now with U.S. clients about how we can take those things and apply them in places like long-term care. So it's interesting to see that because at the end of the day, the goals are very similar. And the opportunity is to take something that may have worked in Canada and bring it south of the border and then something that is working in the U.S. and bring it north of the border. Especially during this time where, you know, we are facing this global crisis. I'm curious to know if you and Orion, are you guys poised to sort of be handling the situation that is going on and helping the right information get to the right place at the right time? And also, have you had to pivot at all? Like, What is it like from your perspective to be going through this global pandemic? So first of all, to answer your first question, is Orion poised to help with this? Yes. So we have taken some of the tools and the core infrastructure that already exists in our HIEs and other tools that are being used in the U.S. and Canada, especially something called remote patient management that that we have traditionally used to manage patients outside of hospitals with chronic diseases like chronic heart failure or COPD. 
What's interesting is we were really able to adapt that those same technologies to be a part of pandemic response system that takes you from triaging people who are concerned, using self-screeners, evaluating those ha- that have higher risk, and then putting them on remote patient monitoring tools and making a decision about testing them or not. And then trying to monitor them as much outside of a hospital as we can, but understanding, seeing their ongoing daily or sometimes twice daily stats to make a decision about whether they do need to come into hospital or not. So those tools existed for us. The technology did. The specific workflow around a pandemic did not. And we were able to develop that pretty quickly in a couple of weeks. So we've implemented it in a few countries already outside of the U.S. We are working with U.S. clients, Canadian clients, to look at implementing that here in North America. From a perspective of a health information technology company, I think certainly the basic information flowing is important, but we have other tools that can help people help with self-isolation, help treat people who don't need to be in hospital and keep them outside of hospital or healthcare settings, which makes everybody a little bit safer. And so that's been the focus for us. And it's been, I can tell you, busy as we try to do this work as quickly as we can. But it's also incredibly gratifying to have a role in this kind of pandemic that feels useful. So I look at some other people who work in, you know, some of my friends or colleagues who work in other sectors where they can't directly dig in and at least try to help. And I think for us, this is a bit of an opportunity. It's an opportunity to do good things for our clients and for our countries, but it's also an opportunity to really learn and be better coming out of the other end. Hey guys, sorry to interrupt, but we wanted to let you know about a way you can support Hit Like a Girl podcast directly. We've partnered with patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, as a way for us to connect with our listeners and fans in a direct way and ask them to support us so we can continue creating more great content like this episode you're listening to. Patreon.com is not so much of a one-time contribution, but more like a subscription to provide support to independent creators like us. Patrons who pledge even just $2 a month give us the stability we need to continue producing podcast episodes. In return for your patronage, we're offering virtual high fives, personalized thank you notes, and even shout outs on our episodes. When you become a patron of Hit Like a Girl podcast, you're supporting our channel directly, so we won't be making podcast episodes for some viral audience or for ads. We're making them for you, our listeners. This allows us to focus on topics related to women, healthcare, and technology. With your support on patreon.com, We're able to spend that time having meaningful conversations and doing more great work that can positively impact the lives of other women in healthcare and tech. So join us on patreon.com and let's make something amazing together. When you think about what you're doing every day or the need to pivot like you have in the last several weeks with the pandemic, what specifically for you in your role has changed in your day to day? How has this shifted your mindset, not just the remote mentality, but really we talk about being, you know, serving those who serve others. How does that change the quote value of what you're providing? I see the headlines about the outbreak tracker. You gave us a little bit more background about some of the other things you're doing in other countries across the globe. 
what does that mean for you in your day in and day out? How do you continue to serve them? And what, what does that value look like? That's a good question. So as VP of Client Value, my job is to really work with clients to say, what are your priorities? And what do we have in our box, our toolbox, if you will, that can help you deliver on your priorities? And the other thing, though, that I think we've done well in Iran is for in North America is we started last fall, actually, a series called Learning from Around the World or Lessons from Around the World. And just bringing clients together to talk to each other about what they're doing, why it's valuable. So we brought in the chief operating officer from a really pretty successful ACO in the US into Ontario to talk about value-based care because Ontario's attempting right now to transition to a value-based care model. So for me, that kind of facilitating that kind of conversation, understanding where the tools, the solutions, those things are that I can bring to bear for clients is really an important component of my job. Working with New Mexico, as an example, to figure out as their HIE looks to deliver more value, how can they deliver value into their Aboriginal communities because it's based on some work we've done here in Canada. So that kind of thing has always been my job. I think it's a little more focused in the short term because obviously some other things go in the back burner while you think about what can you do in the short term to help manage this pandemic. So that kind of brings a specific focus to what would be a broader scope of work. And to me, again, it's about certainly about my experience and the things that I've done in the past, but it's also about bringing just people together who can help. So we've implemented in some other countries who were a little farther up the epidemiology curve on this specific outbreak and bringing their knowledge, their learnings, their what they've tried, what's failed, what's succeeded back to other organizations so they can learn from that and be more successful and try things in a slightly different way is a really important part of what I do. And for me, that's really gratifying. If I can help somebody implement long-term care guidelines that are different because of the experience I have, that's helpful. You know, we ask every guest, and I think at this moment in time, it's a really interesting question. But if you had a magic wand, and if you could fix anything in healthcare and the way every, anything is working within the healthcare system, either locally or globally, what would you solve for and why? So current situation aside, I think what the current crisis shines a light on is actually the bigger problem of many healthcare systems across the world, and that's sustainability. So how do we, in an era of ever-increasing costs and ever-increasing demographic challenge in that people are older, more comorbid or sicker, and we're needing to help people for longer periods of time than we ever have in our history, while we face the reality that the percentage of GDP that most countries are spending on healthcare is increasing at a startling and unsustainable rate, I think for me, 
the big focus is how do we get to a place where healthcare systems are sustainable, where we're getting better patient value, where we're getting better patient outcomes, where they're reporting a better quality of life, and we can afford to pay for it. And so that is the ongoing discussion that we have all the time with every client, because at the end of the day, if we don't solve that, if we don't solve the sustainability crisis in healthcare, it will be the next big thing is how do we continue to care for people? So although this is a terrible time, there is an opportunity to learn how to do this better coming out of this this time that we will come out of eventually. You know, I know you premised your answer to say to this time aside, and we're talking during really what is just probably the the infancy, or I don't know, the, the infancy with some degree of maturation, the COVID pandemic crisis. But I think we're about to get a real hard lesson in that sustainability piece, especially mm-hmm. at a community level, especially mm-hmm. at a rural level. I live 30 minutes outside of Charlotte in relatively urban area. And it is already a challenge, I think, especially when we talk about independent or more autonomous practices. So I really have an appreciation for your wish because I think from a patient perspective, as a parent of children, as a caregiver to others at different times in my life, I think what you're talking about is fundamental, not just from a value standpoint, but the survivability and, like you said, that, that patient value aspect. I don't, for one second, pretend to have all the answers. But I do think that we need to be broad and bold in our thinking. I think we need to divide and conquer and try different things and communicate well and figure out what works. And there will be potentially some really fundamental shifts in the way our healthcare system works. And we have to be okay with that. I couldn't agree more. I mean, sustainability was actually something that I focused on in my master's degree. So it's been on top of mind for more than a decade. And it, I really do wish it wasn't that it was something that was forced upon us, but we do definitely need to be thinking and our long-term survivability. Transitioning to our really just the last question, and this is wild because especially with the rate at which we're all getting inundated with what's going on in the world and with our healthcare systems, how do you keep up? What is it that you read or intake or like, what is it that you're putting your finger to keep with the pulse of information that's coming down towards all of us at this time? Yeah, I can tell you right now, I'm finding that daunting. So obviously reading guidance from World Health Organization and CDC and those things on a regular basis is important. I personally spend quite a lot of time reading about other countries, other approaches, because I'm so ingrained in some of the core things we do here in North America. I'm always seeking outside of that. So I read quite a lot about some of the South Korean approaches to healthcare and healthcare sustainability outside of the COVID outbreak. They've done some interesting things in Spain around community care that I've spent some time taking a look at. So those kinds of examples of strategies and applying them has been a big part of 
my ongoing reading. I have a couple of groups that I attend regularly, eHealth Initiative in the US and a couple of them here in Canada that sort of help me to keep up to speed. Normally, I try to attend a few different conferences each year and really get in to understand what others are doing in specific areas. And the other thing I think, I don't seek to know everything about every component of health IT. I think it's so big now that I can't be as deep as I want to be if I try to be too broad. So my personal decision has been to be a little deeper and a little less broad. So I have specialized a little bit more on what I call subacute. So primary care, community care, long-term care, those components of the healthcare system, I've been a little more focused on because they personally interest me. Community mental health and addictions is a big one for me. I spent a lot of time working on in Ontario and I and it's personally something that I have a lot of interest in. So one of the keys, especially earlier in my career, but still now, is to not attempt to boil the ocean, but really become deeply educated on certain components of the healthcare system and add value when that's a part of the conversation. I couldn't agree more. We talk about healthcare, you know, being that thousand piece puzzle. So knowing your piece is is really important and not just from, I think it allows us to appreciate the connection of all those other pieces and really be great collaborators. So Andrea, with that being said, if people want to collaborate with you or they wish to connect with you, what are your socials? What are your handles? What's the best way to reach you? I have a LinkedIn profile. I'd be happy to share with you. I'm happy to share my email as well and happy to connect on either platform. I'm really interested. I'm always interested in learning. I'm also interested in younger women who are maybe a little earlier in the career who want to connect with me to talk about what they're doing or think about what their options are. And for anybody who's a little bit interested in the subacute environment, so community care, primary care, cross-continuum care, value-based care, those kinds of things, I especially am interested in having those conversations with others. And so I'd absolutely welcome. Wonderful. I actually... I have one quick, on that note, I have a follow-up question. Would you have any advice for somebody who is, you know, perhaps in a new place in their own life and looking to help if they wanted to get involved or start somewhere? Do you have any recommendations for them? Yeah, I would tell you that the where I am in my career and the choices I've made It's always nice to make it seem like you made these purposeful, well-thought-out, totally planned choices all the way through your career. I tend to think that isn't always true. And in my case, it certainly isn't. I mean, I have always followed what interested me. And then I have found a way to add value based on that interest. And so for me... Community mental health and addictions was something that I kind of fell into because that's what the clients that I was working for were doing. But I quickly learned a little more about it and decided this is a place where I want to be. I want to add value. I want to think about mental health and addictions and its overall impact on society. So 
if you're in a starting place and, and this is a career you think you'd like to choose, I would stress really thinking where you can add value and where your interest lies. Because if you're interested in something, it's pretty easy to get up and go to work every day. I'm consider myself so lucky to be able to get up in the morning and like what I do and engage with smart, interesting people who want to do interesting things and, and want to collaborate on how best to solve problems. And I think if you can find something like that in your life and you can be genuinely interested in the work that you do, it gets pretty easy. And so for that, I could consider myself incredible. Well, thank you for that. And we really appreciate your contribution and everything that you're doing to kind of get us through. Well, thank you to you too. I know we're all, we're all just inundated with this every day. And thank you for listening to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. If you want to know more about us or this guest, check out our website at hitlikeagirlpod.com. While you're at it, if you found value in this episode, we'd appreciate a ratings on iTunes or simply tell a friend. You can also connect with us on Twitter or Instagram at the handle hitlikeagirlpod. Thanks again. See you soon.